From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. A new issue of Upstate's annual Journal of Literary and Visual Art is available, and we have in the studio today Dr. Deirdre Nealon. She's the editor of The Healing Muse. Now, regular listeners will recognize that Dr. Nealon shares works from The Healing Muse at the end of HealthLink on Air every week, but today I'm happy to get to talk to her in person. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Amber. I love the show. Well, this is the 18th volume of the journal. Um, it's published by the Center for Bioethics and Humanities at Upstate. Um, what can you tell us about this issue that makes it unique? Well, you know, every issue we publish, I always say I feel like a mother who always says I have no favorites, but you know how we always think the baby is the favorite. <laughs> so here's our latest baby, and she does seem to be to be particularly good. We have, uh, as usual, a robust selection all around the country, all around the world, um, both artists and writers, and all of them talking stories. So I think what I always say to my students and to people who are interested in the muse, you buy a copy, you get this for $10, and you put it by your bedside, and you just read in order, even if you want, one or two selections at a time. It's magnificent. I mean, you just go down these paths of meeting people and being inspired uh, or recognizing your own humanity and what they're what they're dealing with. So uh, $10 for the Literary Journal. Where can people buy this? They can call us at uh, Upstate at the Center for Bioethics and Humanities, 464-8463 or 8464. Um, you can go online to thehealingmuse.org, and you'll get information there for it. And um, this, this year, as a special, which I know you and I are going to talk about, but if you buy one copy of The Muse for $10, you're getting a free copy of a second book that we just published. And it's called Round and Ripe and Wise, and it's poems by a former professor at the Center for Bioethics and Humanities, Bonnie St. Andrews, who passed away in 2003. And Kathy Faber-Langendoon and I have been working on this for several years. She left a magnificent body of work behind her, and we've selected what we think are the best from there. And so you will get two books for the price of one. And she's she was the founding editor. Yes, of the yes, Muse. she's okay. the founding editor of our journal, and I think she would be extremely proud uh, at how it's grown. I mean, she she thought of it as a place in a medical center where a dialogue would begin. She found uh, that the nurses she was teaching had so many stories to tell and no place to tell them that she wanted to found a journal that would prominently display nurses' voices. But then, uh, obviously, the physicians were very interested in having their voices heard, too, and she was very welcoming that, yes, you know what, this should be a journal for everyone at Upstate, all four colleges, everybody. And then, uh, thanks to the Internet, we st decided to expand. And so I think by issue three, we were receiving, you know, people, inquiries from people in New York State, downstate. Then it kind of went over to Massachusetts and Connecticut. But now we are all states. Um, and you I think they've all been represented at one point um, by now. Hawaii, Alaska, you know, everybody. It's really, it's very wonderful. How unusual is it for an academic medical center to have a literary journal? I think now it's not that uh, unusual, but I think when we started, it was somewhat unusual. 
academic medical centers pride themselves on students being intensely, intensely focused on their academics. If you want to be a physician, if you want to be a nurse practitioner, you, if you want to be a physical therapist now, you must study, study, study. And the idea that one would take time to read literature and talk about it, you know, many years ago was considered almost heresy. I, I do a writing seminar uh, during alumni weekend for the medical alumni, and we usually get, you know, seven or eight alumni who come in to talk about it. And it's wonderful for me, the people who are coming for their 50th class reunion, they come in with such, you know, like a, an air of suspicion, like what's this newfangled doctors writing uh, while they're in medical school. When I was in medical school, we didn't have time. But the younger folks that come, the younger docs that come back for their reunions are also in the room with them. And they say, no, no, this is what we needed. We needed a place to talk about what we're seeing. Because you're taking people who, you know, usually are in their early 20s and putting them in situations where they are watching someone suffer terribly or watching someone die and then watching their mentors tell the family who's waiting what has happened and then you move on to the next bed. You move very quickly because it's an efficient, you know, we, we have to keep going. And so now I think many medical schools are aware of the fact they don't want burnout in their young physicians. They want to be sure that their physicians have a place to talk about what I felt when I made that mistake, what I felt when I saw that person go, what I felt when the baby was born. I mean, there's a lot of very wonderful, exciting things. Miracles do happen all the time, as we say. So um, I think Bonnie would be very happy that this journal has become part of a movement in medicine. It's sometimes called narrative medicine. It's spreading to all of the healthcare professions, I think. But basically, it believes that Physicians could learn a great deal by listening to the voices of patients, and patients could learn a great deal by hearing from their physicians. I mean, there have been so many times when uh, people at a reading that we're doing will say, they'll go up to the physician who's just read his work or her work, and they'll say, I never thought you were caring that way. It doesn't seem that way, but the, the physician's reading a poem about what it felt like to make that diagnosis. You know, So I think it's a great place for people to break down the barriers of, well, we're taking care of you and we'll tell you what to do, or You're, you just tell us what you want and we'll just do it. It isn't like that at all. It's really a dance, a very delicate dance between what you want and what the patient might need. Well, maybe it makes sense to be part of academic um, training yes. as you're shaping what your professionalism is going to be yes. and yes. who you're going to be like as a provider. Exactly. You know, I think I think it would be wonderful to have the young physicians in training and the young nurses in training, you know, recognize that this is something they could do. You jot down notes all day long. I mean, they carry those big pockets and they've got their, they're always, you know, dialing down things and looking up things and stuff. Write down what you just felt because as you've seen with, um, you know, very famous physicians like Sanjay Gupta or uh, Dr. Atul Gawande who have gone on for having two careers, one as a medical person right. and one as a writer, the world is hungry to hear from you. The world does want to know what you think. Well, tell us about this particular issue. Um, the cover photo is... Oh yes. Describe I, for our listeners yeah. what the cover photo is. Well, I would say to our listeners, you really must get a copy of this, but uh, 
the cover is done. It's a photograph by a local uh, Syracuse photographer that you may well know because his work is in the papers all the time, Michael Greenlar. And he spent many, many years, almost three decades, he said, following a family, an Algonquin family, up near Quebec. And uh, he lived with them and photographed them with their permission. And he has published a book about them. And I happen to be a person who's interested in the Art Rage uh, Gallery. And I uh, support them. And they sent uh, a message out this year, as they always do, about what the upcoming exhibits would be. And there was one picture by Michael Greenlar, who will have his exhibit opening in February there. And I saw a picture of this woman whose name was Lena. She was the grandmother, the matriarch. And it just stopped me cold so that I went to Michael Greenlar's website and I bought the book and I brought it back to my office and I showed it to our staff, Kathy and Jess and Lauren and Nancy. And we all were, oh, do you think he would ever let us put this picture on? And so it is a picture of Lena. Uh, she has a fox pelt uh, covering her for warmth. She also has a pipe, which... <laughs> I recognize as a medical center, perhaps that's not the image we want to do. But nonetheless, uh, Lino did smoke her pipe occasionally. And she just presides. Um, what we always try and do on the Muse cover is to have a cover that inspires. That's what muses do. They inspire us. And when I look at Lena and I look at the two accompanying photos that Michael graciously allowed us to publish inside the journal... Um, I'm looking at a woman who saw a lot, lived a lot, uh, and taught a lot. I think he has, um, in his sh very short biographical statement there, he says something to the effect of, Lena's last words to her grandson were, don't forget the animals, keep talking to them. If we don't use the land, we will lose the land. So I just thought it was very inspiring, and uh, you know, it's it kicks off the issue in a really beautiful way. Well, in the images, they they look like historic images, Don't but they? these this is present day. They're they're beautiful. Yes, so. they are present day, but they are living in a very, um, you know, a different kind of climate. I mean, it's pretty uh, rugged where they are up near Quebec, and they live off the land still. They fish, they hunt, uh, and it's it's beautiful. Well, this is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Dr. Deirdre Nealon. She's the editor of Upstate's Journal of Literary and Visual Arts, The Healing Muse. What advice would you give to people who feel like they have a story to tell, whether it's as a patient or a provider? Um, how do they go about getting it out of their head and onto paper? Oh, that's, that's such a great question. Um, there are many, many avenues that one could uh, follow. I would say that if you're a student, you know, at Upstate, uh, there are writing groups that form. Um, there is a writing group that I teach for medical students in their fourth year. So just as they're about to launch, we do a very uh, rigorous writing intensive, and the medical students can come and do that. I would always be willing to talk with other student groups if they were interested in forming that. But let's say that you're a, a physician or a nurse or um, someone who uh, works in the alumni office. I mean, everybody has a story, as you said. Everybody is an interesting person. If there's something that you really are longing to tell, the first, the first thing to do would be to start jotting it down. The second thing to do would be to find somebody who's willing to read it. 
Now, we are very fortunate in Syracuse. We have a um, group called the Syracuse Downtown Writers Center, which is run out of the Y. And uh, Phil Memmer is a wonderful poet in his own right. And he has uh, formed this beautiful uh, center where people can go and, you know, you can take courses. And they're, you know, I think they run like five weeks. So you make a commitment to go, which is the other part of it. Because I, I can't tell you how many people will come up to me and say, I have a great story, you should write it, and you would make a lot of money. <laughs> you know, And it's like, no, if you have a great story, you need to sit down and think about how you want to write that. You know, Just like if you could make up a musical or something, you have to sit down and have the discipline for it. Well, at the Downtown Writers' Center, they will put you in a group that they feel is where your level of writing is. Maybe it's the beginner's level, maybe it's the intermediate level, and you meet with your group once a week or once every other week, and you workshop, what we call workshopping, and that is a great way for you to find community, because I think as a writer, it's a very isolating business sometimes. This is also why we wanted the med students to think about creating things, because medical school can be very isolating. You are so focused on trying to do well, that sometimes you don't step back and take the time to reflect. And I think if all of us took some time to reflect, we would find we do have stories. So you could just have one good friend and say, let's get together at a coffee shop for half an hour, and I'll show you something I wrote, you show me something you wrote, and we'll talk about it. And some people may find that they write by hand, and yes, some people maybe yes. write on type. Yes, on you can write right? on type. Yes, I remember so. when I started out, I thought I'll never use the computer. I loved the idea of pens. I used to buy lots of different kinds of pens and hear how it sounds on the paper. It was great. But now, yes, I've gone over to the whatever side, and I use the computer, and it's it's great fun because you can change it over and over again. You can you know make your mistakes revise and revise it and revise do different. It. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come and tell us about this new issue. Um, and I'll remind listeners uh, that they can find out more at thehealingmuse.org. Yes. Um, and you have the previous issues on there as well. Yes, we do. You... So uh, my guest has been the Healing Muse editor, Dr. Deirdre Nealon. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air. <laughs>